Welcome to People's Church Podcast. We started last week, Christmas Chronicles. We're focusing on the Christmas story and some of the different characters that are a part of this. And today we're going to be talking about catching up to God's plan in your life. Sometimes because of hmm, slow choices or even outright wrong choices, we get behind on God's plan. God's plan for your finances. God's plan for your ministry, service to others. God's plan for your family, your marriage. Sometimes we get behind because we haven't made the best of choices. And we find it within a couple characters within this Christmas story that they were kind of behind the eight ball. Now last week we talked about three different ladies. And we use them as the example of three wisdoms that we need to have from God. And these ladies were stellar. Remember we talked about Elizabeth who was the mother of John the Baptist. We talked about Mary of course whom the Lord used to bring Jesus into this world. And then we talked about Anna who was the prophetess at 84 years of age that got to bless the Messiah and see God's salvation in the flesh. Um, All of them made great choices about not getting stuck in life. They didn't get stuck. Elizabeth couldn't have children. She's mid-aged. She's past childbearing years. One of those biblical stories. And God tells them, I'm going to actually give you a son. And I want you to name him John. And he's going to be great amongst men. And in fact, Jesus said he's the greatest human being that ever lived. John the Baptist. And then, of course, Mary... And we find in that particular thing, she doesn't allow fears to grab her. She doesn't allow, uh, can I say, such a dramatic change of plans from her dreams. All All of a sudden, being completely turned around. In that, she doesn't allow herself to actually get caught up in that change in the wrong way. She embraces, engages with faith the journey. And then we find Anna, who was a widow after seven years of marriage as a young woman. And then devoted herself to minister to others at the temple, especially just glorifying God. And then people that would come with all the needs, you can just imagine this lady, for decades and decades, pouring her life into others. Made some really great choices. Now we're going to look at a couple guys. Um, Guys, we didn't do quite as good on some of this math. So we're going to take a look at the guys of Christmas a little bit. And the first one that's going to come up uh, obviously is uh, going to be Joseph will get there. Today I want to talk to you about the first hurdle you have to overcome in catching up to God's plan, and that's your doubts. Your doubts. Doubts are a part of the process of faith. They're not necessarily opposed to faith. In fact, doubts can be the beginning of faith. It could be the extension of your faith. It can be pushing into new territory of faith. But how you respond to your doubts and the type of doubts that you have is incredibly important. There are four kinds of doubts that we basically are going to go through. When we doubt the future, we call it worry. We just call it worry. It's anxiety. It's, it's I can't control it, absolutely. I don't even, can't predict it, absolutely. It's got way too many unknowns and variables. It's a very dynamic thing to look into tomorrow. And so I'm not sure that I am very comfortable with this. And we tend to move into worry. When we doubt other people, we call it suspicion. Suspicion. Someone's hurt you. Someone has... Uh, not lived up to the standard that you want them to live up to or, or look to them for. Somebody has fallen short in your life around you, uh, maybe in aggressive or non-aggressive ways. But either way, suspicion is the way that we go when we doubt other people. When we doubt ourselves, we call it inferiority. Inferiority, the idea that we are focused on the difference between us and others only on the negative column. Have you ever noticed that, that when you look at other people, you always look at their very best moments and then you look at yourself and your worst? Have you noticed that? You evaluate, oh man, I mean, look at that guy. He's just absolutely amazing athlete and he's, you know, just one of those tier one kind of players and he's got it all together and then there's me. 
You know, we often look and measure ourselves from our worst point to other people's what we consider their best point. When we start doing that, by the way, that's a stupid world. It's dumb to be in comparisons like that. But the other part of it is that we end up in a situation where we are going to feel very inferior and we can demise the value of God in our life. And the fourth is when we doubt God. We call it unbelief. Unbelief. Unbelief is something that is now bordering and going into a very negative territory in life. But let's talk about these as we go through it. So there's many different kinds of doubt. You doubt the future, it's worry. You doubt other people, it's suspicion. You doubt yourself, it's inferiority. When you doubt God, that's unbelief. When we doubt what we hear on television, we call that intelligence. You know, when people doubt everything, that's cynicism and skepticism. Men are going to typically go through a period of doubt that we call the midlife crisis. Uh, We doubt our virility, our ability, our senility. (laughs) Midlife crisis is the age of the three Bs, bifocals, baldness, and bulges. It is a time when things change and a lot of doubts emerge in life. These guys we're going to take a look at had a couple doubts. One responded in a way that's really quite amazing. And the other one really had some issues that he needed to work out and God needed to bring a little chastisement and he needed to bring a little bit of correction into his life. And so let's take a look at it. First off, Joseph's doubt. His doubt out of those four was suspicion. Suspicion. Here he is. He's engaged to a beautiful young lady. Um, They are preparing their wedding. Uh, The village is excited. Uh, It's all working out the math as it should be. It looks like we've got all of the pieces of the puzzle for a beautiful picture in life. And all of a sudden that gets turned upside down. And it gets turned upside down for him in a way that it, it was different than Mary. Mary gets this direct angelic visit and then she's got a faith decision to be made. He gets Mary's version, and her version says, Hi, uh, Joseph, I need to tell you something. I'm pregnant. And Joseph, God's angel appeared to me, Gabriel, to tell me that he was going to do this to me. He was gonna, the Spirit of God was going to place God's seed in my womb, and I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. How would you respond, guys? Suspicion. Suspicion. And suspicion is exactly how Joseph responded. But he was also a very good man. And we're going to read uh, a little bit about his story in Matthew 1, 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly, more or less as as under the radar as possible, because this was high risk to Mary. As he was thinking about this, get that? Thinking about this, pondering this, tumbling it over, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to the, she will give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. That prophecy was given approximately 600 years earlier. Emmanuel simply means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as an angel from God commanded. He took Mary as his wife. He didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And Joseph called him Jesus. So we find Joseph here in a very interesting uh, quandary. Information has come to him which stirs up what it does in all of us. Huge doubts of suspicion. You know, suspicion is one of the hardest things to get over in life. 
when you're in an intimate relationship or friendship with people and you have this deep underlying suspicion that is there, it's really grievous to the relationship and its intimacy markers. It's really, really grievous. Unless there are things to actually base your suspicions on that you know. Now you say, well, Mary was pregnant. Ah, but Mary gave him a full story. Mary gave him the opportunity to believe without the angelic visit. To believe her. He couldn't do that. He just couldn't cross that one. Now you and I understand that. How difficult that that would be to turn this into a matter of faith. Immediately like that. It tells you how powerful suspicion is amongst relationships of human beings. How deeply it affects the way that we conduct ourselves. Conduct ourselves towards the person or the third parties or anybody in the circle. Suspicion is a doubt that's highly destructive if it maintains its presence without solution. It is something not to keep. It is something to grow through and power through and get beyond. Because as long as it exists, the deeper levels of intimacy do not exist. And I want to challenge you in your relationships where suspicion is not grounded even on things that we would say here where you don't have even that story. Suspicion is something that is going to cause problems. Deal with things, ask honest questions, but then get beyond suspicion. You say, but I got to protect myself. I need to be suspicious of others. If the only way you protect yourself is to be suspicious of others, and then that is not a very good protection. What you want to be is really in touch with God because he gives you gifts like, hey, I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you discernment to see right and wrong. I'll let you, I'll give you information. I will impress upon your spirit how close you should move there. I will give you the wisdom in these choices. That's where you want to go, not to this wonderful human gift of suspicion all of the time. Too often, you're missing out on God's wisdom and God's direction and God's leadership simply because you're looking to the gift of suspicion, and it's not a gift. To actually be that which determines your closeness to others. You said that's risky. No, that's intimacy. I told you you're not going to like this one. The fact is, suspicion is something of a doubt that keeps God out of the picture. And that's why he had to in, literally force his way into Joseph's picture with an angelic visit from the very same angel, Gabriel. He knew that he had to bring him up to an, a knowledge that became supernatural so that he would be able to say, okay, all right, this is so unusual to hear this story, but now that, Lord, you've given me this supernatural experience, I will now believe. And he does. And he does. And credit to him that he let go of the suspicious mind and heart that he had, that had even in his goodness of heart and character, the way he was going to deal with things was really well done in his character, but very badly done in his faith. You know, sometimes we do really well in our character of things, but we're not doing well in our faith of things. That's a thought for you. In this particular story of Joseph, I love this guy's response to it, and I like this phrase. When Joseph woke up, I have a feeling it's kind of put there because there's many different ways to wake up, isn't there? How many here know that? When you first open your eyes, you're not really awake. How many know that? How many know that about your partner? When they open, they are not fully awake, right? So. This is just, it's going to take coffee, it's going to take power drink, it's going to take, you know, it's going to take a lot of things just to get your engine maybe running some mornings. But here we're speaking about he woke up. When he woke up from this sleep that he received this dream in, I think that woke up also meant he just woke up that this is really a God thing. See, what things are going on in your life that are true God things 
are going to require you to move beyond the doubts of suspicion. Oh, I don't know if that was God's voice impressing me. I don't know if that was really the Spirit of God that was challenging me on that. As long as we do that, we will miss some of the most intimate, wonderful experiences and connections from God. How many here have ever been driving your truck and somebody cut you off? How many here have ever cut somebody off? Did that make you suspicious of every driver out there that's going to cut you off? Because I think I watch some of you drive that are suspicious. Okay. You got two hands and one foot on the wheel. You're moving at usually a slower speed and you're usually glaring around at who's going to try and do that to you. No matter what we try to do with this gift of suspicion, you need to wake up because it's going to drive you nuts. Joseph wakes up. And then he does the three things exactly what he was supposed to do. He doesn't just wake up. He wakes up and he figures out this is a God thing. So all of a sudden he jumps full on into this. And he does it in this way. He does three things. So he, he commanded, he, or I'm sorry, he took Mary as his wife. Right away they got married. Right away. Let's get this, let's get this wedding done. They get married but he doesn't have sexual relations with her. He goes into restraint mode because he knows this is a supernatural moment in our life that God is doing this exceptional thing. And he takes his loves and his desires that are all good in the map of humanity and he says, ah, this is going to wait. Have you ever had to put good things on hold? Because God is emphasizing something so he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And then he did the third thing, which is called him Jesus. Now, you must understand that phrase within the cultural context and within genealogies. What he's basically doing is he's, he's saying, I'm calling him exactly who I should be calling him, and I am not putting my name upon him. He doesn't carry my name or a derivative of my name. He is going to carry his own heaven-sent name Jesus which simply means God is with us God is with us so he carried out all three which cost him in, he had to self-sacrifice for this he had to come alongside and he pushed through the gift of suspicion uh, I call it the gift but it's not that doubt he, he breaks through all that stuff and then he gets out the other side and he gets obedient to what God is doing. And it happens really, really quickly. There's a second one. The second guy we want to take a look at is Zechariah. Zechariah's story is found in Luke 1, 18 through 20. He is Elizabeth's husband. They, uh, older, way past childbearing, and God is going to bring John the Baptist through them. Zechariah is a priest. He's in a rotation of ministering at the temple. So he's now in Jerusalem for this administration or this changeover sort of in shift. And he is now the designated priest for that day. He goes into the temple. And there in the temple, he has an experience. The angel appears to him. Yep. Gabriel's on the job again. The angel appears to him and speaks to him and tells him, I've heard your prayers. Zechariah, I've heard your prayers. And you are now, your wife is going to bear a child. You're going to bear a son. He's going to be great. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He is going to be like Elijah. He is going to get the nation ready to come back to God. Here's the response of Zechariah. Luke 1, 18 through 20. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? 
My wife and I are very old. The angel replied, "Uh, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news to you. Know this. What I have spoken will come true at the proper time. But because you didn't believe, you will remain silent, unable to speak until the day when these things happen. Okay, it's kind of a, a, it has got a little humor in here because he at first is afraid and scared when he sees the angel standing to the right side of the altar. And so he knows this is an angel. He knows it's a supernatural experience. And he hears the angel's message. And with an angel standing there having delivered it, he says, how can I be sure of this? This kind of doubt is unbelief. This is into a whole different area. This is not something like suspicion. Now we're talking about unbelief. Unbelief is where we have information but we choose not to believe it. It's a choice not to believe the clarity of the information. So God gives him very clear information. And then he says to him, I'm gonna carry this out. And Zechariah's response is, how can I be sure of this? He's questioning the clear revealed word or truth that God had brought to him. One, by the way, that was brought on because of his own prayers. Zechariah has brought a a chastisement. And why he's brought a chastisement is because he really wants to emphasize when it comes to these things of doubt that God's plan for your life he's dead serious about. And he wants you catching up and being on time with his plan. And he will use chastisement to move you forward. Have you ever tried to use chastisement on your children to move them forward? I hope you have. Chastisement is simply loving correction or loving discipline. That's what it is. How many here have ever sent their kid to their room? Okay. How many here have ever uh, made them do an extra set of dishes? How many? Okay, you get it. Oh, you chastiser, you. God uses chastisement because he wants your plan in your life to be functional and up to date. He wants the plan in your marriage to be functional and up to date. He wants the plan as your parenting to be functional and up to date. He wants that way in your profession. He wants it within your, uh, your friendships. He wants it within your ministry of service to him. He wants you to be up to date. To be up to date, unbelief will never put you there. It will always trap you in a stall. Because you have set a thing of saying, somehow you need to prove to me that I can be sure of this, even though Gabriel, who stands in your very presence, just delivered it to me. Kind of crazy. What does it take for God to get through to us? It's a good question for us to ask ourselves. I mean, what does it really take? Sometimes he's going to allow chastisements, difficult things, and he's saying, look, wake up. That was the great news of Joseph. He woke up. He left suspicion behind. That doubt was gone. Zechariah didn't wake up. His wake up came Later, when John the Baptist was born, John the Baptist was born and they were going to name him in the village. Now, this guy can't talk, remember? His voice was taken from him. God will take your voice from you. He'll take it from your family. He'll take it from your voice within your marketplace. He'll take your voice. He'll take your voice. He's giving you a chastisement so you recognize how powerful your influence is so that you recognize that you need to be a person of faith and not moving in unbelief against God very easily declared truths and word. 
So here we have with him, on the day that John the Baptist is born and it's coming to the eighth day when they're going to name him for sure and he's going to be uh, circumcised and he's going to that mass. They are coming up with the name. All the friends and neighbors and villagers around and saying, what are you, you going to call him? Are you going to call him? Are you going to call him like Zechariah II? What are you going to call him? What's going to be his name? What's going to be his name? And so... Uh, Elizabeth says his name will be John. They, they don't accept it. They go instead to Zechariah who can't talk and they make sign language and say, what, what's going to be the baby's name? And he gets asked for a tablet and he writes on the tablet, his name will be John. They said, but you have no Johns in your legacy. You have no Johns in your, in, in your, uh, in your background. Why? You can't. What are you doing just naming them? Because that's what they were told. Now obedience has kicked in. And then Zechariah breaks through. And when he breaks through, it's a beautiful breakthrough. You can read it. In that beautiful breakthrough, he just glorifies God who is so patient, who is so beautiful in bringing him into the plan that God had for his life, even though I was so resistant as to absolutely choose unbelief over very clear things. Yet he has been so gracious to me to bring me to this point one more time where I can live in the faith and don't live in the doubt. Three causes of doubt towards God. Critics. Critics. These are, these are definitely going to be a part of your journey. In Psalm 73, 8 through 11, Living Bible, they scoff at God and threaten His people. These are critics. How proudly they speak. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut through the earth and so God's people are dismayed and confused and drink it all in. Does God realize what is going on, they ask? Critics. The, the, your, your life, any time faith journeys are at the starting point, when you're at, when you're at the green light and, and God gives you that green, and he says, it's time now, we're taking this faith journey, let's go. You're going to have a lot of critics. They're going to be there to stall you out. Critics are a big cause of doubt toward God. In Psalms 42, 10 through 11, it says, Their taunts pierce me like a fatal wound. Again and again they scoff. Where is that God of yours? But, oh, my soul, don't be discouraged. Don't be upset. Expect God to act. For I know that I shall again have plenty of reason to praise him for all that he will do. He is my help. He is my God. So here we find, again, critics and then a healthy response. The second thing that's going to cause doubt toward God is conscience. You might not have thought of this one. It's actually very interesting. It's got interesting layers in it. God gave you a conscience. It's a gift. You have an innate sense of what is right and what is wrong. As part of that, he has set eternity in the hearts of men. More or less, God has wired you in a way that you are different than the rest of anything in the animal kingdom. You are in the human kingdom and you've been formed in his image, body, soul, and spirit. The conscience is an interesting thing. 1 Timothy 1.19 says, cling tightly to your faith in Christ and always keep your conscience clear. Doing what you know is right. For some people have disobeyed their consciences and have deliberately done what they knew was wrong. It isn't surprising that soon they lost their faith in Christ after defying God like that. So he's saying the conscience is an awareness, an awareness of God and what is right. And so he's saying that some people will disobey that conscience and then they deliberately do what they know is wrong and that leads, don't be surprised, he's saying, when they lose their faith in Christ after that kind of defiance. This is interesting. A lot of people uh, treat truth um, 
They, they want truth that supports what they want to do. And so they work at reshaping the conscience or maybe quieting down the conscience or maybe completely ignoring the conscience. See, truth and the conscience, when they work in harmony, is a powerful tool in your life. It can save you a lot of pain and trauma and release you into the greatest things in God's plan for your life. He's saying, keep your conscience healthy. He says, cling tightly to your faith in Christ and always keep your conscience clear. Keep it healthy. Keep it really functional. How do you do that? Don't deliberately go against what you know that conscience is rooted in the truth of God directing you not to do or to do. When we work against the conscience that's rooted in truth, God's truth, we are setting ourselves up to lose faith in Christ because that's outright defiance. The conscience. Third, circumstances. Three causes of doubt towards God, circumstances. Very simple scripture, it's a story out of the book of Mark. They're crossing the Lake of Galilee. Jesus is in the boat sleeping. Mark 4:38 says, "But Jesus was in the rear of the boat sleeping on a pillow." What's so unusual about that? Well, nothing in that regards. Long day, they're traveling at night, but there's a big storm. I mean a huge storm. I mean a scare seasoned fisherman storm. I mean Make them panicked. They woke him up. And they asked him this question. This is God who we say came to be with us in the flesh, the incarnation. Who wouldn't leave us to the destruction of death and hell. But rather uh, the God who came to save us. They asked him this question. Teacher. Don't you care that we're drowning? Circumstances. We've all got them. Sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not so good and sometimes they're really, really bad and sometimes they're really, really great. Your response to circumstances is either going to be rooted in the doubts or it's going to be rooted within faith. Here, their faith is not on show. They are absolutely panicked. And they wake him out of being asleep on the pillow. Now, it's unusual in this regards to think of somebody in a boat that is getting whacked every which side by waves where there's been a loss of control of the direction of the boat. And it would be very unusual to have somebody sleeping on a pillow unless you're Jesus. Jesus isn't just a, a rescuer. He's a model. He's a mentor. And he's mentoring a position to take in the midst of storms. Now some of you are in storms right now and you're fighting that truth. Because you know that Jesus would say, you need to be at peace and rest and just wait on me. And you're saying, I don't want to wait on anybody. I want to be in charge. I wish to change what this is. And I'll take control of that. That's just Joseph who is going to then say, all right, so I'll just put her away quietly. And Circumstances show up who's really got the wheel of our life. So Jesus is giving us a picture, a model. He's mentoring you here. He's saying, look, you're going to go through storms. They're going to be there. But if you truly recognize I am in this boat with you, that I have come. I have come to you. I am here to bless you. I am here to look after you. I am here to watch over you. I am here that you can trust me that I'm in touch with every detail of your life. I am there. I am here. I am everywhere. But buddy, more than anything you need to know right now, I'm with you. 
when that's something that grips you, then you can pull out a pillow. But if you don't, one of these doubts will get you and more than likely it will be the doubts of unbelief. Zechariah is interesting. He'd been in pain so long, disappointment. He had done, it's interesting, he had done all of the work of the temple. Guys, he's surrounded by religion. He is just surrounded by it. But his faith. You know, we can't even surround our families in religion, but what about faith? So how do you respond to doubt? Let me give you three quick things. Admit they exist. Don't, don't deny that they exist. No matter what form of doubt it is, if it's worry, suspicion, inferiority, or unbelief, just acknowledge that. Like, just say, hey, this is a doubt that exists. Doubts are often the beginning of deeper faith. They are part of the faith process. Uh, Peter gets out and walks on the water after he asks, can I? And Jesus says, yes, come. And he does, and he does really well until he then becomes too aware of what's there, and he moves into unbelief and sinks. And Jesus said, why do you have such little faith? Admit they exist. Second, this is something that's might at first seem crazy to you, but let me, let me press it. Let me press this one home. Doubt your doubts first. Even in human relationships, I would encourage you to doubt your doubts first and take them to the Lord. But in relationship to God, certainly doubt your doubts first. Now, what does it mean to doubt your doubts? Does that mean that I shut my brain down? Not at all. It means that you now use your brain governed by different metrics. When you doubt your doubts first, you're saying you don't get front page yet. I'm going to instead focus on what I know to be true and then I'm going to work my way out from there and the doubts will only be an indication of gaps where I get to move into to learn more. But if you don't doubt your doubts, you believe. Have you ever noticed it's easier to believe your doubts than sometimes to believe your beliefs? Always doubt your doubts first. Because those can come from anywhere. They can come at any time. Doubt them. Reaffirm what you know is true. Use that as a basis to explore greater the knowledge of that truth that is in response to this area of doubt. And lastly, Start with the faith you have. Start with the faith you have. Interesting story, Mark 9, 22 to 24. Um, this is a boy that has a demonic issue. He's possessed by a demon. His uh, disciples that were there at the time were trying to purge the demon out and it wasn't working too good. And uh, so Jesus now is on the scene and he's asking the man, you know, a few questions. We start off in verse 22 of the father talking about his son's experience. And he says, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. This next phrase is, how many times does Jesus say this to us? He says this in a question. Jesus' response to the dad, if you can? 
How many times has he had to come to us and say, if I can? Said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. I was asked a great question this week by somebody. They were talking about um, sort of a condition of faith, like following. Sometimes you're just not ready to follow God, and he has to get you ready to follow him. And so they wouldn't have had the faith to maybe do this at this point in time. But they had to develop that so that they could then have the faith. There was just one thing wrong with the premise. And this is what often people get wrong about faith. They start with your own. You start with your own self. It's not you that actually produces faith. It's a gift that God gives you. And then it's you that uses faith. See, faith is not about you being ready. It's it's that he is always ready. Do you believe God is ready to help, to lead? Do you believe that he's there to bring good things to your life. Do you believe that God in his love and his providence has a plan for you and in your life and that he's working all things for the good? Do you believe him? Faith starts with, do you actually believe that God is ready to bless you? That he's gonna be with you? That he's gonna walk with you? He's gonna carry you? He's gonna take you forward? That will release your faith. If you keep thinking you have to get ready to exercise faith, you will never have faith. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That is such a great response he's saying I do believe but you got to help me on you know with my unbelief and so Jesus casts the demon out of the boy he's healed immediately and he's free and he's delivered and he's what dad always wanted him to be and it worked through a father's heart that was willing to believe in, in the, even in the face of doubt and then to acknowledge that doubt and say, I need help with this. Help my unbelief, but I believe. And Jesus said, good enough for me. I believe you can, Jesus. You start with the faith you have. So how much faith does it take? Matthew 17, 20 to 21, because you have little faith, he said, I assure you that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, go from here to there, and it will go. There will be nothing that you can't do. If you think that you have to somehow produce a mountain of faith, you will find it hard to move a little seed. If you believe that your little bit of faith in a great big God, then you can start moving mountains. Zachariah, Joseph, two good men. One had the more immediate response Moved on from the doubt of suspicion. Which one do you have to move on from? Worry? Is it the doubt about the future that got you? Are you caught up in the fear of today and the world? The world, by the way, this is their biggest one right here. It's all about controlling the future, preparing for the future. You gotta prepare. You gotta have, you gotta get ready. You've gotta be. I just want you to be up to date with God's plan in your life. Maybe it's suspicion, the doubt that 
flushes its way out in suspicion towards other people. And intimacy is on a low, hard to get traction. Building friendships, difficult. Maybe it's inferiority. Maybe it's where you're in a comparison mode and that's how you've been kind of ingrained in thinking about other people in this competitive sense about who's higher on the ladder and who's lower on the ladder. Here's the problem with that, you know. You might think it almost like humbleness to look up and, and say, well, they're better than me. But I know that if you're looking up to say that, you're also looking down and saying, I'm better than them. I'm saying some things today. I told you I wouldn't like this one. Right off the bat. I didn't say you'd enjoy it. Don't enjoy it. Maybe it's the last one, unbelief. When we doubt God, it's unbelief. Then if you're there, would you do what that father did and discover that little seed of faith? Start with that little faith that you've got and challenge your unbelief. Christmas illustrates the reality of our human condition without God and it also illustrates through the people of Christmas how difficult that it can be for you and I to live in faith in the purpose and plan of God to be up to date to what he has got for you today. It's so easy to be lagging behind in all of the different areas of our life. Maybe it's just one area for you and it's okay with you if that lags. Don't be okay with it. Get caught up on the information and the calls that God has put upon you. Get caught up on the relational health, the conscience health. Get caught up. Get caught up where you know that you're walking outside the lines. Get caught up. Just get caught up. Have a clear conscience. Be strong in your faith. But may that faith be placed in God and may it be actually about that he is ready, not whether you are or not. doesn't matter. It's he is. These are two good men. And I'm glad that they're there because they show some of the weaknesses and stresses and struggles that we have. But at the end of the day, look how they finished. Joseph got to raise Jesus and nurture him and have his name directly attached to the Lord of Lords. Zechariah, Zechariah, even with that huge issue of doubt and unbelief ended up in a great place where it was no longer religion cycles he was turning. Now it was alive. I am invested to the nines. I am the father of John the Baptist who is doing the pre-work, the setup, the heart getting ready, preaching for Jesus to come. Look where they finished at the end of the day. Because that's what matters. So if you're behind today, let's just pause that button right now and say what matters is the finish. Deal with the doubts. Let's stand together. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, he's put a call on you for belief, not for unbelief. He has made his hand visible in all of creation. And even the way that he has made you, 
He has already put some faith in your heart. He's given you the capacity to believe. He has got a plan and a call upon your life, a purpose for you. You're not purposeless in this world. You have an eternal purpose wired within your creation. The only piece of the puzzle that's missing is him. And why do you need him? Because we are sinners. We'll always look after ourselves first. Even the way we look after other people can be looking after ourselves. God calls you to get right with him. He sent Jesus, the incarnation. His son came. He's born amongst us. Lives amongst us. Gives his life on the cross. And then he leaves behind in this world an empty tomb to tell you that eternal life is in his power to give to those that receive him. Great old scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, one and only, that whoever believes in him should not perish. Believes, there it is, which he gave you the gift to do. Should not perish, but would have an everlasting life. Fathers, we bow our heads before you. We just thank you that our lives are meaningful because of you. We thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose for our life. And Lord, more than likely, many of us in this room are a little bit behind on the plan. Father, it's going to be because some of these doubts that we've talked about today. It's going to be about choices. But Father, I'm asking you, for every heart that your spirit would quicken us to get before you and get our lives right and get our consciences clear and put ourselves in a place where the doubts are doubted first. If you're here and you haven't received Christ, here's a prayer you can borrow. In the quietness of your own heart, acknowledge that you're a sinner. Just acknowledge that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner, God. Acknowledge that He is the one and only Son of the living God and say, I need Jesus. I want your forgiveness. I need you to cleanse my life. And then I need you to rebuild it. I ask you to come in and be my Savior and my Lord. In Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572, or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.